Continuing our uh, conversations with great political writers, Dan Schaefer joins us from the Recombobulation area. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the big story in Wisconsin, right? Redistricting. We we have the legislature finally, my word, move that forward to the governor's office. He signed it yesterday in an official ceremony. So I'm going to ask it in this way. As somebody who observes politics, writes about politics, are you excited, or is it sort of a cautious, cautiously optimistic tone today? Oh, I'm very excited. Okay. I think this is a hugely a huge victory for the people of Wisconsin, a huge moment uh, for our state politics, and a potential turning point uh, in the state's political history. I think this is an incredibly big deal. Uh, you know, Wisconsin has been under the thumb of one of the most egregious partisan gerrymanders in the country for more than a decade now, and this hopefully. Uh, hopefully there's no legal challenges after the fact, but I think that's one of the big questions. Uh, uh, hopefully this puts an end to that process. Yeah, that, and it gives that... us new maps for the state of Wisconsin for 2024 and beyond. Maps that better reflect the the people of this state. On that question about legal challenges, somebody was tossing this idea out in the in the time before the show started. Say one of my teammates, could the strategy be they wait just up until the uh, the presidential election and then throw something in and try to you know screw around with it that way? That, to me, that would be too late to do anything, really. Yeah, I mean, this is part of why I wrote a piece uh, over the weekend about why I thought Tony Evers should sign the maps because I think there was a there was a lot of different disagreement about you know what would invite the greater legal risk or what might be the best decision uh, for for Evers to make. And I think the, part of the frustration with this is there's this you know, kind of black box behind each door, no matter what, you know, whether he signs the maps, whether he was going to veto the maps and let the court uh, draw the maps, there's just kind of this legal gray area that exists on the other side of it. And I, I think that's a very frustrating piece of this. And it makes it, you know, difficult to understand, difficult to know how you can make a difference uh, in this process. But I, I ultimately, I think, you know, when, uh, uh, when the decision came down from Evers and, and, and I think in the days before that, a lot of the, you know, fair maps groups, pro-democracy advocacy groups, Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, League of Women's Voters, uh, Common Cause, a lot of these groups that have been calling for fair maps for a long time had urged, were urging the governor to sign the maps, and I think ultimately he did make the right decision there. If you're calling fair maps, what, what, what makes these current alignments fair, in your opinion? Well, I think you, first you have to look at the big picture. The big picture is that Wisconsin is a 50-50 purple state. We know that you know so many of our elections really come down to the wire. Four of our last six presidential elections decided by less than one percent. We had the closest U.S. Senate rate we'd, race we've had in the state in more than more than a century. We have remarkably close elections in the state, but in the state legislature, Republicans drew themselves a path to a two-thirds supermajority. So we had you know more than sixty percent. Uh, every year since this gerrymander has been in place, the Republicans have held more than 60 of the 99 uh, assembly seats. And so I think getting to a map that actually better reflects the, the people of Wisconsin, reflects that purple state, uh, is a much fairer, much more representative map. And I think it will increase competition, too. And I think that is part of why uh, the state legislature in Wisconsin is so broken and has been such a toxic uh, governing body for so long is because we don't have legislators competing for votes. You have the legislators just kind of, you know, sliced and diced into a safe district where they don't have to be accountable to their voters. And I think having greater competition will give voters more opportunity to bring accountability to the legislators and ultimately make an overall healthier political process. As soon as the governor put pen to paper, there's a speculation on what this, how this might shake out. And it seems to be, if I'm reading the, the, uh, the conversation correctly, um, we could see 
pretty significant gains in the assembly. Senate is is a year out, right? So that would take a long a lot longer. But ultimately, at some point, we could actually have in the in the in legislature uh, one side controlling the assembly, one one side controlling the Senate. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I think there's there's a real possibility uh, for for Democrats to flip the assembly this year. I think I think Republicans will still be the slight favorite. Uh, I'll make that clear. I think the Republicans will be the slight favorite to and they could hold on to keep this. the majority in the assembly. You know, given that a lot they they'll have a lot of incumbents, they have a lot of fundraising advantages uh, in the legislature. Uh, but at the same time, I think there is a path for Democrats to to flip the assembly this year. Uh, and then, like you said, the Senate, only half the Senate is going to be up this year. I think some of the legal challenges asked for all of the Senate to be up this year. State Supreme Court said no on that. So it will just be a, a, as is typical in a, in a state legislative elections where you'll have half the Senate. So I think Democrats will make gains uh, in the Senate this this fall. But I think to the possibility of them flipping that chamber is pretty unrealistic. So I think the optimistic view for for Democrats in Wisconsin is they have a path to flip the assembly this year, a path to flip the Senate in 2026 and could be going into 2027 if they if they elect a democratic governor with a trifecta. Think Tony Evers will run again for governor? I'm not going to speculate on what Tony Evers <laughs> Come is on, that's do. the fun part. I'm not going to speculate on that. He's Dan Schaefer the, from the Recombobulation Area. How do folks find out about the Recombobulation Area? You're great writing on politics from the left side of the political aisle. That's right. You can subscribe to the Recombobulation Area, become a free subscriber or paid subscriber, support the work that we do. Uh, you can find us at therecombobulationarea.news, the Recombobulation Area Publishing on Substack. You can also find me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer. And Dan is a good uh, Twitter follower, X, whatever they're calling it. Um, I'm still calling it Twitter until... Uh, I, you know yeah. what? I've I've kind of made that same decision too. Yeah. Why should I change? Exactly. We all yeah. we all know it as Twitter. Why would we change? Yeah, yeah. Plenty of things change names that we still call it the old name. Let's go with that. Yeah. We, we on that we agree. Dan Schaefer, my guest, will continue the conversation on the political power hour after this. Political writer Dan Schaefer joining us in the political power hour here on WTMJ nine to ten Monday through Friday. So we were talking about redistricting. There's a lot to this, a lot to unpack. I, I was reading last night. Apparently, Sheboygan is now one, you know, one district, and that split up like a, you know, a, a jigsaw puzzle. That's sort of a, in my world, a positive, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's going to be a number of communities that are going to have some some very different uh, representation. I think you know Sheboygan's a great example of it. It was kind of split right down the middle to dilute the Democratic vote and create two Republican districts. Instead of have, uh, you know, kind of one of each uh, in that part of the state. Now, one projects to be a Democratic-leaning district. And I think there are a number of parts of the state that are going to have that. Um, you know, research from John Johnson at Marquette University has broken down some of where, where these changes might be, particularly in the Assembly. I think the south-central part of the state, you know, Rock County, Beloit, Janesville, that part of the state is going to have uh, some more Democratic-leaning districts. The Racine-Kenosha area is going to have more Democratic-leaning districts. The Milwaukee metro area, I think a lot of the suburbs that have been going blue uh, in recent years, I think there's going to be a number of, of pretty interesting competitive districts uh, in the Milwaukee area suburbs. Um, the Fox Valley, uh, Oshkosh, Nina, uh, Appleton area, will have greater representation, <clears throat> more uh, more opportunity for greater Democratic representation there. So, you know, and then northwestern Wisconsin, the far northwest corner of the state, which was represented by a Democrat for a very long time up until the mo- most recent election. That's another place that's going to. So I think it's a lot of these a lot of these swingy regions uh, throughout the state 
that have been gerrymandered into Republican control that now is going to be more competitive, more up for grabs. As I was watching and reading social media last night, I think some of my Republicans' friends forget history when it comes to drawing the lines, right? Unless they're living under a rock, they should know that, you know, the previous maps were gerrymandered to their favor. I, I don't know how you could argue with that point, but some want to. Um, so that's the reality. And, you know, I've talked about this before on, on, on your segment. Look, political parties, their interest is to get as much power as they can. It, it makes them more viable. It makes their candidates more likely to be elected. It makes their policies have a greater likelihood they'll be enacted. So that we all get it. But this this recency bias that, oh, this is the Democrats doing it, this it happened, you know, previously with Republicans. So this shouldn't surprise everybody. There, there is it, the 2011 Republican gerrymander is well documented. There is not, been there is no shortage of information about all that went into the WISRED project or the the, the WinRED project, all the different things uh, uh, that happened at that time. And you know, it has taken the left in Wisconsin more than 13 years to unwind what happened in that one 20, 2010 election. Let me ask you this. I would argue, I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Are Democrats way more organized than Republicans are in the state of Wisconsin? Oh, I think no question. Right I, agree, I agree. I think I think so. And I think, you know, 2016 was such a wake-up call for Democrats in Wisconsin. You know, in, in 2017, uh, uh, conservative justice Annette Ziegler did not face a challenger. You know, a very discombobulated uh, party at the time. But since then, they've won 15 of 18 statewide elections. Uh, they picked up some assembly seats. They flipped the state Supreme Court, reelected Tony Evers. And I think, you know, that's part of what I wrote about today. This is this what happened here. What happened in getting rid of this egregiously ridiculous gerrymander happened because of sustained action. It happened because people voted it's because people elected three state Supreme Court justices by double digit margins to flip the state Supreme Court. It's why people reelected Tony Evers. And I think this is a testament to the power of your vote, to the power of sustained action and regular people stepping up to make a difference. Who's the most powerful Democrat in the state? Don't say Ben Wickler. <laughs> most powerful Democrat in the yeah, state right now, because I don't know who that is. Uh, I know who the most powerful Republican is, but I don't know who the most powerful Democrat is. I, I mean, I guess mo- I, I don't know about most powerful, but most popular right now is probably Tony Evers. Yeah, if you look at the last one. poll, beyond Tony Evers, uh, you, you, I can't say Ben Wickler. <laughs> no, it's probably There's, that is the right answer. I think it's probably Ben Wickler. Yeah, all right, we're gonna take another break. My guest, of course, Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area. After the break, there is going to be a Senate race. We should probably talk a little bit about that. There's supposed to be some news today, apparently. From the Republican person that wants to run against Tammy Baldwin. We'll find out if that's going to happen uh, with our guest Dan Schaefer after this on the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Thanks for tuning in to Political Power Hour. My guest this half hour, Dan Schaefer, Christian Snyder, joined us earlier. You can always find our conversations on our podcast page at WTMJ.com. Dan, before we get let you get out of here, we should probably talk a little bit about the Senate race. Tammy Baldwin running for re-election. Of course, uh, the, the name that's out there is Hovde. I, I saw a lot of commentary last night, Republicans saying, don't underestimate this guy. He's a, he's a powerful, rich, a potential opponent for Tammy Baldwin. What are you hearing? Yeah, I think, well, he is, he is rich. Uh, he is, there was a story today that he transferred his $2.3 million Washington, D.C. house to, to be owned by his brother uh, so that he could, he could make this run. Uh, so I think, you know, well, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that gels with the Wisconsin population, with, with the Wisconsin voters this year. Um, but I think that there are a lot of comparisons to Tim Michaels. 
uh, to be drawn here. They are different guys. They're though. different guys. It's a different race. It's Senate versus governor. It's a, it's a very different dynamic. Uh, but I think you have just the the basic framework of of wealthy business owner who's been doing a lot of work outside of the state of Wisconsin coming back late in the race to self fund a statewide campaign. So I think on that sense, personality wise, policy wise. You know, they might be very different, but just, just the overall big picture uh, seems pretty similar. Well, you're a Democrat, but I want to have you think outside the box. What is a Tammy Baldwin weakness in this race, if she has any? Well, I think, you know, this is a state that is Joe Biden has pretty low approval numbers, and she has been, you know, mostly supportive of Joe Biden's policy agenda. And so I think that is, uh, I think that is part of the attacks that people will bring to her. But I also think that she is able to do what a lot of Wisconsin Democrats are not and connect with people in all corners of the state. Uh, I think she is the favorite in this race, and I think uh, she is. She could pick up the mantle of being the new Herb Cole in Wisconsin. She has certainly demonstrated to Democrats that she can win convincingly. I mean, it, it is sort of an amazing... She's created her own trend, her own dynasty and and whether that continues or not we'll, we'll find out what you know and we'll find out if, if eric hubdy is going to be the one that that can that can nix that but she's certainly demonstrated that on a, on a grand scale and we only got about 20 seconds left but she's done it in previous elections i i don't see any indication that's going to falter this time i don't think so either i also think uh that it's going to be important to see if this is going to be a competitive primary i think that's going to a big story to watch too dan schaefer from the recombobulation area joins us every tuesday on the political power hour